listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Reading tonight from Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through to the end of verse number 7. And the Word of God says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the back side sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Uh, can I remind you that this scroll is a scroll written, sealed, and written on both sides. Verse number one there, a book written within, and on the back side sealed with seven seals. And we saw last time that that image of this scroll takes us back to the Old Testament prophecies, Isaiah and Ezekiel. These books that were prophetic of God's working in the world, well, they were written and they were sealed. And so this scroll that we see in Revelation chapter 5 is a symbol of the future of human history. It speaks of the plans and the purposes of God, including the judgment of the wicked and the completion of Christ's kingdom. The scroll is the very plan of God for the history of humanity. Hendrickson, the commentator, says this, The meaning is this, The closed scroll indicates the plan of God unrevealed and unexecuted. If that scroll remains sealed, God's purposes are not realized, His plan is not carried out. To open the scroll by breaking the seals means not merely to reveal, but to carry out God's plan. So the one who was to open this book and to break the seals was the one who would then ensure the unfolding of God's future plans for human history. Hence we therefore understand John's response to the unsuccessful search for a man to take the book and break the seals. John verse 4 says, I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, and neither to look thereon. We see in John's weeping here the Christian's burden for the will of God to be executed. Understanding by faith that God's will is good, the believer has the burden that God's will will be done in the establishment of his kingdom and in the judgment of the wicked. And so John weeps much because no man was found worthy, and yet all is not lost. Verse number five, one of the elders saith unto me, weep not, behold. John is encouraged to look and to see what he sees in the vision. And what he sees in the vision will remove the tears from his eyes 
and cause him profound joy and worship at the sight that is revealed unto him. So what does he see, or should I say, who does he see? Well, he sees the Lord, of course. He sees, behold, verse number five, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. He sees a lion connected to Judah and to David, speaking of the power and the reign of this one upon the throne. And yet as he sees the lamb, he hears the command, verse number five, behold, then in verse number six, and I beheld, and what does he see? Not a lion, but a lamb. He's told to behold the lion, and as he looks in obedience to that command, verse number six, he sees on the midst of the throne and the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Having been told to behold the power and the reign and the majesty of the one upon the throne, he looks and he sees Christ in his passion and in his sufferings, the lamb as it had been slain. Now we know enough. We know enough of the word of God to see Christ here, to see Jesus as the Christ, the lion of Judah and the lamb of God. It is a reminder to us and to all, outside of Christ there is no hope. No hope for human history, no hope for redemption, no hope for God's will being executed. But in Christ, all of these things are safe and secure. He is worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. And so verse number seven, it says that, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And so having noticed John's response to the unsuccessful search we then have the joy of seeing the successful man, the worthy man, Christ, the one who is worthy and the one who is able to guarantee the purposes of God in human history. And so as we behold the lamb and behold the lion, there are some things I want to point out to you to help us understand these things. First of all, please note that the scriptures predict this worthy man. The scriptures predict the worthy man. Now we know, we again, we understand the word of God. We've read the gospels. We understand the connection with David. We understand the connection with the lamb that John announces, behold, the lamb of God. We understand all those things. And so we, we see Christ here. But the language that is used here in verses five and six is language that is drawn from the Old Testament. The lion of the tribe of Judah takes us back to the last words of Jacob regarding his sons in Genesis chapter 49. You should turn back there. Genesis chapter 49, we have the account of the blessing of the sons of Jacob as his death approaches. He gathers his sons together, verse number one, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. And when he comes to Judah, Verse number eight, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hands shall be the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? And then verse number 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Here we see that the kingdom of Israel is to belong to a king from the tribe of Judah. 
Though Judah is not the firstborn, yet it is from Judah's line that the king is to come. And so you see the reference, the lion there, verse number nine, Judah is a lion's whelp, this animal, the king of the animals. Again, the connection of the metaphor with Judah as the tribe from which the king will come. And then you see verse number 10, this intriguing reference, the scepter not departing from Judah. What we're going to see when we come in our studies and look towards the trial of Christ, that the Jews had no power or authority in their own land. The scepter departed from Judah. And at that time, Shiloh came. Shiloh, the reference, uh, many believe, and rightly so, is a reference to the coming Messiah. His name, this name Shiloh, refers to one who is peaceful and prosperous. It's a pointing towards the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And so we're seeing here in this language of Jacob to Judah, predictions regarding the coming king who will come from the tribe of Judah, but will come as Shiloh, unto whom his people shall gather. And you look at the scene of Revelation chapter 5. What do you see? You see a lion of the tribe of Judah, and the people are gathered to him. In a very real sense, he's the center of the glory of heaven, and the people are gathering around the lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah. They gather, they're drawn to him in faith and in worship. They trust in him, and they adore him as he sits upon the throne. And so we see this picture that John sees is the fulfillment of this Old Testament scriptures. The same is also true regarding this term, the roots of David. And that, that term is used at the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, and the verse number 16, the root of David, where it says there, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Here's confirmation that the lion lamb that we see upon the throne is identified with the historical person Jesus. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto these things. I am the root and the offspring of David. That reference to being the root of David is taken from Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, the verse number 10, where it says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Again, we're just showing you again. I'm not, it's not my purpose tonight to unpack these verses, but simply show you that what we have in Revelation chapter 5 is a fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. And what is significant here is that Christ is not only the offspring of David, but he's the root of David. He's the root and the offspring of David. It's similar to the language used in Matthew's gospel that Christ Jesus is not only David's son, he is David's Lord. This is a, a term that points us again to the deity, the eternality of the lion lamb sitting upon the throne. The personality, the person of this one upon the throne is very God and very man. A lamb slain, but one who is the root of David, who precedes and pre-exists before David. Before Abraham was, I am. Before David was, I am. He's the root and the offspring of David. What a picture we see here of the glory of this person. Christ Jesus, the one who in light of this, of course, is worthy. 
He has all the power of the lion. He has the right and the privileges of one from the tribe of Judah. He is worthy to take, to take the book and to loose the seals thereof. And so we have the reference to the tribe of Judah, the root of David. But what also about the lamb? Is the lamb not also a strong Old Testament theme? This is the first use of the term, the lamb, in the book of Revelation. What is interesting is that John will use, or various ways, the images come in Revelation. This term lamb is used another 27 times regarding Christ Jesus. And the lion is not used again. The lion is the lamb. And the lamb is the one that points, of course, to Christ's work as our sacrifice. The lamb provided for Isaac. The lamb, the Passover lamb, provided for the people of God. The lamb, Isaiah 53, he was as a lamb to the slaughter. The lamb of John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We see the lamb imagery all the way through the Bible. And it comes his culmination when John, he sees the lamb upon the throne. The lamb who reigns in virtue of his sufferings. You see, you turn over to Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 8, and you'll see another reference to the Lamb. Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So this concept of Jesus being a sacrificial Lamb is a concept that predates his incarnation. In fact, it predates creation itself. It was always the eternal purpose of God to have a slain lamb sitting upon the throne and ruling and reigning over all of humanity. That was the eternal purpose of God. And so when you see this imagery, why do I emphasize the importance of the Old Testament pictures and types here? Well, because Jesus, the one who fulfills all these, is the one who is, of course, the only Messiah. The only Redeemer, the only promised servant of Jehovah. And he performed all that was required to be the Savior. He fulfills all the types, but he, he also he does all that was required of one to be Messiah. He has prevailed. He is worthy. We'll come to that in number two. But it's also worth noting that when you see the scene here, no man in heaven or on earth able to open the book, nor look thereon. John weeping because no man was found worthy. As you read that scene, you should understand there was not any possibility of God's eternal purposes not being accomplished. The Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. The Lamb was predicted through the Scriptures, prepared of God for this function. Oh yes, from human perspective, we, we wonder how will God's will be done? But from God's perspective, there's never any doubt that his will will be accomplished and that he will indeed bring about his glory and for his pleasure all things are and were created. And we see again the sovereignty of God and his power to do all of his will. The lamb slain and prepared before the foundation of the world. And so you see in these pictures here, Scripture predicts the worthy man. Secondly, please note, the Savior prevails as the worthy man. Look what it says here, verse number 5. Weak not, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. 
We have encountered this word, this word prevailed before. It is the word that is used in Revelation for overcoming and for conquering in Revelation chapter 6. And so you see here is the lion of the tribe of Judah has won the battle. He has conquered. It's a battle scene. You go back to Revelation chapter 3, verse number 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. Same word, as I also prevailed, as I also conquered, and I'm sat, sat down with my father in his throne. You see, remember, you're looking at cycles of visions here. Christ in Revelation chapter 3 says, I have prevailed, I'm sat down with my Father in his throne. Revelation chapter 5, we see the scene whereby that comes to pass. He has prevailed, he has conquered, and he sits with his Father on his throne. This is the battle scene. Note the lamb, as it had been slain, is a lamb that is alive. Not a dead lamb, but a living lamb. A lamb slain, but now alive. A resurrected lamb, an exalted lamb. The glory of Christ ascended and exalted through his work, of having, had, having prevailed over all of his enemies. This is the lion lamb, and the one indeed that has prevailed and has conquered the conquering king in the battle, get the lamb that was slain. The lamb slain in, in order to achieve the victory through his slaying, the victory is won, and he overcame all of his foes. He overcame the devil. This word to prevail is used regarding the devil in Luke chapter 11, where in discussing, remember the debate that takes place, does Christ cast out demons by Beelzebub? And the Lord points out the fallacy of such logic, and he says, but when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, same word, he taketh from him all his armor, when he trusted and divided his spoils. Christ has prevailed over the devil. The devil is a defeated foe. Christ spoiled principalities and powers. And we know Colossians chapter 2, he does that as our sins are nailed to his cross. He overcomes the devil. He has overcome death. We, we read of death as the last enemy. But yet a defeated enemy, the grave could not, did not hold him. He tore the bars away. Go back to Romans chapter 5, just to trace something of our Lord's defeat of death. Romans chapter 5, from verse 12, and following Romans chapter 5, we see the entrance of sin into the world through the wickedness and the rebellion of Adam. But it says here in verse 21, that as sin hath reigned over death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. It's imagery, of, again, of a battle. Sin reigning, but sin now defeated by grace, by the grace of God that comes by the work of Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ our Lord, the one who died, the lamb that was slain, but lives again and lives forevermore. He has, he has won the victory. And so Paul can, can rightly cry in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Only the one who has defeated death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's able to deliver Paul from the sense of sin in his body, give him a new body, a resurrected body without sin. 
And so you have the language, of course, of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The language we know very, very well at the end of chapter 15. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the sense is, we share in Christ's victory. It's not that we have a victory apart from Christ. We have a victory because he is the conquering victor over death. He has prevailed over the devil. He has prevailed over death. Indeed, we could say he has prevailed over all dangers. He's prevailed over everything that could threaten our soul's well-being. Let me turn back to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, and you'll see a reference, another reference to this word prevailing, again being used in connection with our Savior. John chapter 16 and the verse number 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, famine and peril and swords, all those things. In Romans chapter 8, they're in the world, and ye shall have tribulation. But he says, but be of good cheer. I have, what do you say? I have overcome the world. I have prevailed over the world. I have conquered the world. Everything that could threaten and endanger your soul, I've won the victory. There's no possibility of anything thwarting the purpose of God for your soul can happen because Christ has won the victory. He is the Savior, the Lion Lamb, who in the death, in the death of that Lamb, has conquered and prevailed for our eternal good. You see, this image in Revelation chapter 5 reminds us of how it is that Christ comes to reign. He comes in humility upon a colt, the fall of an ass. He comes in that fashion and in his humiliation, he earns exaltation. He's obedient to death, the death of the cross, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him. We look at the cross, and do we, do we see defeat? No, we see victory. We see Christ being laid in the tomb and rising in the third day, and he's victorious. He has prevailed. And as the man that prevails, so he is worthy to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Human history continues through the work of Christ who has prevailed. There is no possibility of God not bringing about judgment against the wicked. No possibility of redemption not being completed. The Savior prevails as the worthy man. Thirdly and finally, the Spirit is poured out by the worthy man. Look at the reference here. The Lamb. The Lamb is said in verse number 6, to have seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Seven horns, seven eyes. We're given the interpretation, the seven spirits of God. Language is seen throughout these five chapters that refer to the Holy Spirit. The fullness of God, the Holy Spirit. Again, we understand, we know the connection very well. Well, Peter understood it. He preached it in Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, he is worthy, the lamb is worthy, the lion is worthy. He comes and he takes the book from the hand of God. He's by the right hand of God exalted. He receives of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. And he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Seven speaks of the fullness of the Spirit's work. Horns speak of his power. Eyes speak of his omnipresence, his omniscience, 
The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Indicates again the Spirit's power in this world. He sees His church and He provides every grace required for His church so that the one who prevailed will lose none. The Spirit of God is sent by the conquering lion lamb to secure your soul, to ensure that you're kept in the power of God. The Spirit who sees you, sees you in all of your troubles, in all of your needs. He has the power and the authority to deliver you from all that would oppress your soul. He is the one who comes. He sees the elect of God from every tribe and nation. The Spirit of God sees those who have been given to the Son by the Father. The Spirit of God knows them, sees them, goes to them, applies the gospel in their souls, and they're born again by the Spirit of God, and they walk in news of life. The Spirit of God does this. Sent from the throne by the worthy man who has prevailed, who's taken the book and opened the seals thereof. This is a picture of things that we see in the book of Acts. Historical narrative, you understand. And so you bring it all together. And what do you see? You see that Christ in his death has earned the right to execute the power and the plans of God. Christ's death, that central event of human history, is the work required whereby the unfolding purpose of God will come to pass. God's purpose of a judgment, but we'll see the seals in future studies. Seals that mark the judgment of God upon the world because God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. The resurrected Christ is the one appointed as judge. He's got the seven seals. He opens them and judgment comes upon the world. And praise God, God's purpose of salvation also come to pass. Jesus says himself, all power, all authority is given unto me. In heaven and earth go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You see, you go back to verse number five. And what does the elder say to John? Weep not. Why would you weep when you have this picture of Christ? Why would you know sorrow in the world when you see a prevailing Christ? Why would we weep today when we have this Christ in our eyes? Rather than weep, ought we not to rejoice? Because we see this scene. And this scene is the guarantee of the building of Christ's church, the extension of his kingdom, and God being glorified even in the midst of such wicked days. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.